I think it is more appropriate that this new bridge should be named after an ordinary Dublin man. Matt Talbot himself would have been the last to wish such an honour. But to commemorate him in this manner is something every man and woman in Dublin clearly supports. A new bridge over the River Liffey east of Footbridge has been mooted for a very long time and was referred to in Professor Abercrombie in his sketch development plan for Dublin in 1941. At that time he suggested a bridge um, at Cardiff Lane, Gill Street. And, but the idea of a bridge at Memorial Road was first came as a result of Professor Schechterle's uh, report which in 1965 which was based on an extensive study done in 1961 and um, Professor Schechterle suggested an outer express ring road which would cross the Liffey with a high level bridge near Mackin Street and he also suggested originally widening Butt Bridge to um, a six lane bridge um, in further discussions with them, he uh, changed this recommendation to providing a new bridge uh, in, uh, east, immediately east of Footbridge. Uh, two alternative locations were suggested at that stage, one at Memorial Road and one a bit further east. But the Memorial Road one was eventually recommended as from the traffic point of view and from the least interference with the activities of the Port and Docks Board. The first bridge was was probably before 1000 AD, but we just don't know. The first date we can fix is that in 1210, King John had the the bridge rebuilt, and just about the same site, the the site which is fixed by the name Bridge Street leading down to this, just inside the city walls. Well, that bridge was probably rebuilt quite often. It would be a flimsy wooden affair. And it was uh, replaced about 1400 by something a little more substantial. And this was done by the Dominicans, who managed to get the money repaid by collecting toll. Toll was quite common on these early bridges. Well, that, which is now Father Matthew Bridge, officially... The, well, the, the present one was uh, built in 1818. And like many of the later bridges, it was named after the current Lord Lieutenant. That was Whitworth. Well, the next one was a long time afterwards. It wasn't till 1670 that the second bridge across the Liffey was built. And we don't know who built that. It was probably a private enterprise. And its first name was the Bloody Bridge. Because even then, they had unruly teenagers. And uh, some apprentice boys apparently tried to destroy the bridge, uh, which was very uh, convenient for the troops coming from the barracks across into Dublin. And the military turned out and the apprentices 
resisted, and four were killed, and that gave this name to the bridge. That was in the 1670s, the original Bloody Bridge was built, and it was a great era for bridge building, that only a few years later, Essex Bridge uh, came, built after, named after the Lord Lieutenant, uh, but it was uh, destroyed by floods only a few years later, although it was rapidly repaired again. And a fascinating episode of this Essex Bridge was that um, 1722, a new pier was added, a little extension uh, upstream, to take a statue of King George I. Uh, it's not clear why this was um, didn't last very long, as only 30 years later, the pier and statue were taken away and the bridge completely rebuilt. Uh, that was the rather famous um, building by what is designed by George Semple, when he had um, very extensive works using the Coffer Dam, in which um, piles were driven down with um, beams and the water could be pumped out so that it was possible to build the bridge up as if it were a structure on dry land. Very effective, a technique still often used. The system we used here to build the piers of the bridge was known as, is known as the Cofferdam method. And a very interesting aspect of the Cofferdam method is that in the old Capel Street Bridge that was built back in the mid-16th century, um, a famous Dublin engineer known as George Semple um, also used the Cofferdam method. Now, what's interesting about Mr. Semple is that he was one of the first uh, people on record in Europe ever to have used Cofferdams in the construction of bridges. And we're rather um, pleased, and I suppose as Irishmen quite proud, to find out that a Dublin man, in fact, was one of the first people in Europe to have used the Cofferdams to build uh, a bridge. Consultants were appointed in 1970, July 1970. Uh, measures Duluth, Chadwick and Ohoka, in association with Marty and Anderson, were appointed uh, as consultants to prepare um, a design for the bridge. The, um, it, it was um, necessary uh, a bridge of this nature um, which involves both the Port and Docks Board which are a separate authority and the Dublin Corporation uh, it is necessary to have a bridge order uh, inquiry by the Minister for Local Government to um, decide on who should build the bridge and who should maintain it and uh, matters of that nature and in April 69, the um, corporation applied to the Minister of Local Government for uh, a bridge order under Section 44 of the Local Government Act, 1946. Would there be a great difference of interest between the port and docks and the corporation and the Minister for Local Government in these things? No, uh, generally the port and docks board were in agreement with our proposals uh, but the question as to who should build the bridge and who should maintain it. All the other bridges um, over the Liffey, um, O'Connell Bridge and 
Butt Bridge and the other bridges are maintained by the um, Port and Docks Board and therefore the question of who should build this bridge and who should maintain it was a question that had to be decided and this was subject of the bridge order. The, the inquiry was uh, actually held on uh, 6th of November 1972 and um, Mr Tully, Minister for Local Government, made an order uh, in 1973 stating that the bridge should be built and that the corporation would be responsible for building it and for the future maintenance and also t- the corporation would be responsible for maintaining the river walls between the new bridge and butt bridge. There was Ormond Bridge, named after Alan's father and the Lord Lieutenant, and he was a very important man in the development of Dublin. Because up to the 17th century, the Liffey was just uh, still an open estuary with um, a lot of mud aside, and the uh, tide would bring the water right up into the existing buildings. And it was Ormond that insisted that it be properly um, developed with stone walls, and uh, he made it... um, uh, condition of the works that there would be roads alongside the stone wall on either side, so that we have the existing uh, quite effective uh, scheme. And the bridge was named after him, the Ormond Bridge, but that bridge was um, demolished by floods in the great storms in 1802, and when the new one was built on the site, it was given another name, and inevitably uh, the current Lord Lieutenant, uh, Richmond. So it was the Richmond Bridge. And that's now the O'Donovan Rossa. Well, most of these uh, were in Dublin, right in Dublin. But the next one, in chronological order, was upstream, a bridge linking Kilmainham with the Phoenix Park and the Island Bridge. And for a change, it was uh, named after a lady, the Sarah Bridge. Sarah being the Countess of Westmoreland. And, of course, Westmoreland was the Lord Lieutenant at the time. And it is a very uh, graceful bridge, designed by Mr. Stevens. And it's, um, the span is 104 feet long but it's a very graceful, elegant structure. Uh, then, what is possibly the uh, most famous bridge uh, came still in the 18th century, the Carlisle Bridge, or O'Connell Bridge, as we all know it today. But Carlisle was, yes, Lord Lieutenant, and in the 1790s. And it's interesting to um, note that these bridges did not spring up overnight. It took about three years to do the Carlisle Bridge. And it was uh, designed by the famous architect uh, Gandon. And it was a very beautiful structure, although 
not all of Gamson's original plans could be carried out. Once the bridge order was made then, we were able to um, uh, ask our consultants to um, proceed to do the detailed design of the bridge and um, to subsequently advertisements were placed for tenders and tenders were invited. And in May 1965, the um, consultants uh, recommended that measures Askin Limited should be awarded the tender. There was... Uh, a slight delay then before accepting the tender because at that stage uh, a proposal was made that instead of a bridge that a barrage should be built at this or approximately this location and the feasibility of this was studied in detail uh, before the decision was made to go ahead with the bridge. What would that have involved? That would have involved uh, more or less uh, filling in the river by a solid embankment at that place with um, provision for allowing the water through and sluices through this barrage so that instead of a bridge there would actually be a solid barrage with sluices to allow the water through. This would ensure that the level upstream was always kept high, that the tide wouldn't go out above that level and um, it also would, um, uh, it would have that effect of keeping a constant level of water in the in the Liffey, upstream of the barrage. But there were other problems, and this was the thing that had to get careful examination, and this was done and um, decided then eventually that the bridge should be built. And eventually the manager's order was made accepting the tender on the, in April 1976, and work started immediately then in, on the 20th of April 1976. August uh, 76 we started and um, the cofferdams was starting to be put in position when we moved in. Because of the rock formation here, the cofferdams was um, a problem in themselves as opposed to driving into uh, normal soils to support value from the soil. When you hit rock in this case, you had to stop, so you had a very high risk element as opposed to normal cofferdams. But um, they were made semi-watertight anyhow, eventually. And um, then a concrete base was put in, and the piers of the bridge was taken away from there. That sort of no time like was it really watertight, but um, there was always a risk element because of tides and varying wind pressures and things. Well, what were the big problems you came across as you went along? Well... depth within the water uh, the water seepage uh, machinery that you can normally see like cranes etc you can't see you're working completely in the dark you're relying on a third action at all times you know if you give a signal signal normally to a crane the crane driver can see it in this instance it has to be passed three times before the, the direction is received by the man at the lever of the machine this is one of the biggest risk items and there again, more important than anything else, like the machine man has to be an expert. And um, on this particular contract, there was the best crane drivers. Certainly, it's a job that embraces all trades. 
and um, on our left we see that concrete has been placed to finalise the pier on the north side of the river. It's actually described as an abutment, but it, it is in effect a pier which supports the bridge on the north side. And the concrete has been placed, uh, concrete has been delivered in ready-mixed concrete trucks, has been deposited into uh, what we call skips or buckets, and these buckets are then uh, placed in their position using the heavy crane and the bucket is just opened at the bottom and the concrete is allowed to fall into its position. And uh, we expect that that particular operation will be completed by the end of this week. I see a lot of steel, is it, too, around here. This is reinforcement, is it? Yes. In fact, the main portion of the work, the main portion of the foundation work, is described as reinforced concrete. And what that is, in effect, it's a system of placing... Uh, cages of round steel or what we call twist steel and tying them all together and then simply pouring concrete around these steel cages and the idea is that the steel which is then enclosed in the concrete contributes mostly to the strength of the pier once the load comes on it and the concrete simply contributes a, a small amount of the strength but it protects the steel from the atmosphere and protects it from rusting Then there was a gap of 50 years before any new bridge appeared, and the next one was very ugly, the Butt Bridge. But not the Butt Bridge we know today. The original one, built in 1879, or opened then, was a swing bridge. It pivoted in the middle so that traffic could... um, quite big ships could get up the Liffey as far as O'Connell Bridge, or um, Carlisle Bridge as it still was uh, then. And uh, when the railway bridge, the loop line, was put up in the 1890s, uh, the swinging of the butt bridge was no longer uh, necessary, so that bridge was demolished and the existing structure uh, put there, though it has been improved since. I remember the old bridge, but I didn't remember being built. But I'll, I'll tell you something else you will remember. Uh, the keys here, they were the jetties. They were wooden jetties, you know. And uh, remember, in his time... I remember the, building the, the new key wall here, where there was only wooden jetties along. I remember all the sailing ships coming along here. And there was no... no steamers. Or nearly all sailing ships, schooners, brigs, brigantines, vessels like that. Right up as far as the Butt Bridge. I don't remember your door here and say Oh, opposite, yes. <laughs> that was the uni- unique nature of the parish here. That was different to yours as a front door. Changing scene. They were mostly employed in bringing coal in. Coal in and slates and stuff like that. Uh, but all, they never took that out. Only all, always went out in ballast. That was ballast from the houses that were being demolished going to England for the built houses in England. First suggestion was to widen Butt Bridge. But because of the difficulty of widening the bridge with um, services and which are in the footpaths, and the fact that the uh, design of the bridge didn't easily lend itself to widening, uh, it was considered that it would be better to build a new bridge rather than widen the existing footbridge. But also because of the having the second bridge, it eases the uh, possibility of having a, 
a type of roundabout uh, traffic wise here the traffic uh, uh, south to north across Butt Bridge and then north to south across the new bridge a large traffic rotary and this in association with the decision already taken to reverse the traffic on the quays will um, when a further new bridge is built at Sean Houston will um, we think ease the traffic conditions on the north and south quays and at these at these bridges okay well at the present time the bridge is under construction for just over one year and at this stage in the works all the foundations have been completed and the two river piers which support the bridge at mid-river have been constructed right up to their final level also the piers on each side of the river are finalized and we're now moving into the completion stages of the contract which is placing the main bridge deck now at this stage at this minute what's happening is that the bridge deck itself is being constructed uh, particularly on the north side of the river if you look towards the south side of the river you will notice that the bridge deck on that side has been completed in other words all the girders are in place the bridge deck is on and in fact men are now working placing the final bridge cladding finishes for the bridge uh, to explain the cladding finishes a bit more clearly to you the reason for the cladding which is a, a special coating which is given to the side of the bridge is to camouflage the texture of the concrete in the girders which uh, tends to have an undesirable look about it so the cladding in fact is a specialized concrete technique where special panels are made up to give a consistent color and particularly the texture we have tried to reproduce what we hope will look to the general public as a granite type finish our object is to blend in the aspect of the bridge with the granite effect of the existing key walls and the area as a whole now getting back to the north side of the river we are just beginning to, to place the main girders in position and the procedure that we're using here is rather a unique one whereby the girders as you can see are being rolled into position rather than craned into position the reason for this is that the main girders are in fact very very heavy and they weigh something of the order of 52 to 53 tons and placing them really presented quite a major problem on the contract whereby one would have had to employ very heavy craneage which would be hanging around on the site and costing a lot of money for doing very little so this particular contractor developed his own idea whereby he's placing the beams on industrial skates in fact you could describe the skates as similar to an ordinary child's roller skate the beams are simply placed down on steel plates which are resting on skates the beam itself is then winched by both mechanical winch and manual winch and as you, as you winch the beam simply rolls along on its skates and as you can see down there it's rolling out
Now, as you can see in front of us, we have what's virtually an open-air factory. And we have, in fact, manufactured all the concrete girders which will be placed to form the bridge here on the key wall. Beside it, you can see a preformed temporary concrete rolling track. We, in fact, jack the beams up from the position they're resting in and we place them on skates and we roll them sideways to the edge of the key wall and we place them then on top of the concrete rolling track. The beams then sitting on the skates are winched forward towards the bridge until they reach the rolling gangway, which is a structural steel gangway which you can see down here in the river. When the beams get to the gangway, they're jacked up and jacked down again onto the rolling gangway. Uh, men are then employed standing on the bridge pier out in the river and using a wire rope and a manual winch or a pulley as it were the men actually winch the beams then along the rolling gangway towards themselves towards the river pier and having got onto the pier the beam is then jacked down onto the pier and the men go to the, to the, to the opposite end of the pier and winch the beam along towards them again so this one beside us now is due to go across when? The position with this one now, it is, it's, it's just being rolled towards the gangway. And during... In fact, it's rolling as you speak there. You, you can actually see it moving now. And during tomorrow morning, or perhaps late tomorrow afternoon, it will, it will be seen to be rolled, winched out across the river, or on the gangway towards the pier. The placing of the main girders in position is a slow and repetitive operation, but within three days all 11 of them on the north side reach out across the river to match the 11 others already installed on the south side. Only the central gap now remains to be closed. Eddie Dowling, today is the, what date? The 19th of July, is it? Correct. And what stage are we at now? Well, we're now moving into a stage where on the north side of the river we are placing the main girders into their final resting places. And in this particular operation, there's a unique feature of the job which you can see, and it's in fact the type of seating or bearing which the main girders rest upon. Uh, an interesting feature of it is that the bearings allow the bridge literally to slide in all directions. Imagine the whole structure due to contraction or expansion of temperature or either or a heavy load being placed on the bridge which can cause it to move. Um, these bearings, as I've mentioned, are made of heavy structural steel and in simple form they consist of one steel plate resting on top of another steel plate and in between them there's a special chemical compound which allows the top plate to slide relative to the bottom plate so that when you're crossing over the Memorial Road Bridge after it's completed you may or may not feel it but you can be assured that the bridge is actually sliding underneath you. Um, it also It's a sort of cushion is it? It's a cushion as well as um, allowing the bridge to move with any forces that may come into it. Now the whole reason for it is that if you don't allow movement in a concrete structure, if you resist the movement, 
the concrete will crack. So that the, the, the latest techniques in structures of this type require that the first thing one must allow to happen is movement. And if you can control the movement, um, all the better. So the bearings, as, as you can see going onto the piers here, uh, allow this movement to take place. At the same time, on the city quay side of the river, another interesting technical operation goes ahead. On the south side, we have just started on what we call the second stage stressing of the main girders. Just to explain to you, the bridge is being carried on concrete girders or beams. These girders are, in fact, what we call pre-stressed concrete. And very briefly, pre-stressed concrete means that you can manufacture a concrete member and either before or while you're actually manufacturing it or after it's been made, you can then induce stresses in it by what's known as a pre-stress process. Now what that involves is one places high-strength steel wires rather than bars. They're very thin wires are threaded through preformed holes in the beams and by anchoring the wires at one end of the beam and actually pulling them at the other end you extend the wires and having extended them to what is allow the allowable maximum extension you then grip the wires at the end at which you're pulling and you grip them in that condition and having extended the wires and induced the force in them and holding the wires then by anchoring them on the end that you're pulling them, you form what's called a pre-stress girder. And that's what you can see going on over there. And over there, on the south side, which is where people live closest to these operations, what effect is the new bridge likely to have on their lives? William Nelson, 84 years of age, was born and reared on City Quay, and so was his son, Jerry. The family grocery is now one of the few shops of its kind still left in the vicinity. Uh, I can't see how different it's going to be for the simple reason, as far as I can see, it's just diverting traffic from around Boat Bridge across this new bridge and the problem, as I see it, will be clearing the traffic away from this side of the, of the river. They haven't made provisions, in my opinion, to, to clear the traffic away, the boat that's going to come across the bridge. Our family, the Nelsons family, are about the only family left, well... There's one other family on the keys, as far as I know. Am I right, Daddy? There's one other family on the keys now. Only the two families on the keys. For an unhealthy area, uh, my parents are still alive and they celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary on the 1st first of uh, July. Wasn't that right, Dad? Yeah. <laughs> and this is, in fact, the only house, the, the only uh, house that people live in. Well, we have the presbytery. We have priests oh, next door. <laughs> <laughs> And apart from those, no one. Uh, uh, and this is just one, just one other family. Uh, Mrs. Uh, Masterson. Mrs. Masterson. Masterson. And that's She's living all her lifetime. And her and her brother, Richard McCann. Family. They are living all her lifetime, the same as we are. She was born and raised on City Key, and so so was I. Now that's the only other family now is on City Key. On City Key. In years years ago, years gone by, that there was it was densely populated. The quays and the side streets. All along the quays there was tenement houses and shops and pubs and 
everything like that, but now they're all gone, but completely be, gone. But there are lots of people living in flats, mostly a bit further up now. That's true, on both sides of the river, by, by the same token. You have them down in Sheriff Street, and you have them down around the back of here, Pierce House and Markovich House, but that, uh, no longer associated with Doc for the livelihood, you know. As far as the bridge is concerned, I don't think it'll make any difference as far as the traffic is concerned, and I can't see it. Well, will the new bridge really mean just transferring traffic problems from one side of the river to the other? Resident engineer Eddie Dowling, speaking in November 1977. No, on the contrary. Um, the situation as it stands at the moment is that 75% of the traffic which uh, passes the um, bridge on the north side of the river which at the moment travels up to Butbridge, 75% of that traffic crosses Butbridge, and once it gets onto the South Quay, gets away fairly quickly. What we're trying to do here is elim eliminate the um, dogleg that uh, a car driver or pa a car driver has to do by turning up to Butbridge, crossing and coming back down again. The new bridge will do away with the time a motorist has to take to get to Butbridge, and also all the congestion which occurs at Butbridge in the morning, um, we in fact envisage uh, an easier and uh, simpler flow of traffic. Once, once we get the traffic to the South Quay, it should get away a lot simpler. We also don't envisage there'll be any great increase in traffic over and above what there is at the moment. There's another aspect of it. The people going from, uh, pedestrians going from the South Wall to the North Wall across the new bridge, there's no prospect, there's no, there's no way they can get across the road. There's no traffic. I think they will put traffic lights eventually, bridge, yeah. but I think myself they'll have, have to put a, an overhead pedestrian uh, crossing. crossing. But they take the people across the road, because you're in danger of life crossing the road now. At each side of the bridge, um, it's the intersection of the bridge with the quays will be controlled by traffic signals. And in incorporation of these signals will be pedestrian crossing phases, as you can see at the moment in the O'Connell Street area. There will be pedestrian signal control and safer crossing for pedestrians, in fact, than there is at the moment. The worst fears of both motorists and pedestrians have probably not been realised since the bridge opened, but other problems remain for local residents. Where the new bridge joins City Quay on the south side of the river stands City Quay Church the focal point for many years of a well-defined parish community. The population centre has now moved further east, and local groups have been organised in protest against what they consider the neglect of the area. But we have shops, churches, schools, all the facilities here in the centre city, and we have hospitals as well, if they'd only leave them with us. Yes, they're sending people out to the suburbs where we, the taxpayer has to be paying extra money to put in all the infrastructure for people out there. We have all that in here, and yet they're driving people out. People who want to stay, our young people getting married. You can't get a home here if you're getting married. It's full of old people, but the young people can't. There's no flats around. They're all in, living with their mothers and their mothers-in-law, maybe and so uh, it's causing terrible overcrowding. Well, actually, the protest is about, it's a, it's about for more houses in this area, also the closure of the, of the hospital, Patrick Dunn's. What we want is, is plenty of houses in the area because we need them. We're promised 175, but, but they're getting broke up in 40s, and we want them in about 150. It's mainly it's, it's the Save City Key and Western Row. 
This was a very close-knit community, uh, extremely so. Um, it, it's, it's easily identified and it's, it has its own specific boundaries. Uh, it's probably unique in that respect because you have the key, you have the river cutting it one side and you had possibly the Lear Street and back down to Pierce Street. And, uh, it, you know, it was a, kind of a rectangular nearly, uh, most unlike any other parish, you know, in that respect. And do you see any great redevelopment of this area in the well, coming years? Well, there are plans to, to repopulate the area. I, I believe they're going to build houses. I mean, they, at one time they thought that the centre city area should be kept for industry and the people were put out on the outlines. I never really approved of that myself. I thought the city was for living in um, because, we see, what's unique about this particular area is here, and you won't find it anywhere else, is that you have railway stations, bus stations, libraries, baths, swimming pool, you know, about baths, um, Schools, churches. Now, what more do you need to make and a community? River, of course, and the river, of course. And what more, do you, what more do you need to make a community? So you shift people out to the suburbs and you start off building these places all over again. A good sign in other directions, a healthy sign is how they have rebuilt the school next door. So there must be some plan for that. There is the plans. Uh, the, even the minister has, has, has uh, signed the compulsory acquisition order to take over property, two big coal, huge, huge, two huge coal yards on City Quay. Well, they're already levelled because there were coal yards and there was no development, there's no demolition to be done. I don't. The corporation themselves has a certain amount of property in in uh, Gloucestershire and City Key. That they have acquired. They had their own. They had this year. They owned it this year. They had the dump, uh, the old uh, refuge dump, and uh, they owned a certain amount of property. I believe they're going to build forty odd houses on that property in the near future starting the new year but the rest of the coal yards well the, the minister has signed the order so I think they're only waiting now for to uh, get the people out whatever few people there's left in them there's a few pubs and, and uh, something like that get, getting back Today, Eddie Darling, is the 18th of November, isn't that right? What's that's happening at the moment? That's correct. Well, as you can see at the moment, we're moving into really the finishing stages of the bridge. Um, we have just um, yesterday erected the public lighting standards. We're working on uh, installing uh, telephone service pipes, water pipes, gas pipes under the footways and we'd shortly be following on with uh, the finishing of the paving on the footways. Um, as you can see also, we have a large cleaning operation to do, and we're just moving into that now, where we've got to wash down and clean off stains and um, what have you on the facing of the bridge. And um, following that, the final operation then will be to do the asphalting and the road surfacing. And we expect that, in fact, to be done... Um, within the next month or possibly two months. You were saying some time ago that there might be difficulty about the asphalting. Uh, has that dispute resolved itself? No, the, the dispute is still on. There is a crisis in the supply of asphalt and we're told at the moment, in fact, that we may not have our asphalt down before the Christmas holidays. We're disappointed at this, but in, in the industry where supply and demand uh, sometimes goes a bit haywire, we have to, in fact, uh, tolerate it. We're, we're hoping that we will have the bridge surfaced, but at the moment it doesn't look like we will have it for Christmas.
Tom Smith. This is the 31st of January, I think, and we're now coming near the finishing line as far as the bridge is concerned. What exactly are you doing at the moment? Well, I'm finishing off the, the handrails, you know. That's nearly the last thing to be done. And they're doing the tar macadam here, and that's nearly complete too, like the pro roads and all that. So it should be open soon. Have you got all the traffic lights finished there on the north side? Oh, south yes, side? Uh, I see them up anyway, like, you know, they should be switched on shortly, I'd say, yeah. You're not working on those yourself? No, I'm not, no. Other ESB is doing that as well. Well, what sort of work have you been doing since it started now? Well, down in the in the centre of the river, we had to make a copper dam, and I was pumping out the water, like, you know, and, and uh, there's two piers in the, the centre of the river, and when they were complete, then we put in the beams and carry on from there then. Well, I don't think there's any man that's ever involved in a structure like that. That's, it's a, well, in a sense, I suppose, it's a, it's a national achievement. And it's the first one that's been done for 100 years in the city. Uh, it's there to be seen. It's a good, I would think, successful job. And anybody involved in it is going to say in 20 years' time, I remember the day I was working there, or I remember the day this happened or the day that happened. And um, it's something that anybody involved has to look back on and be proud that they were involved in it. I know this bridge will serve Dubliners well for many years to come. And it gives me a great pleasure, being Lord Mayor of our city, to cut the ribbon and declare the Matt Talbot Memorial Bridge open. Thank you very much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.